We have been, uh, if you're new here this morning and you're here with the family that's being baptized, you're probably wondering why the In-N-Out Burger sign is on the front of our service. Uh, we are just a community dedicated to burgers. We love our burgers, don't we, Midtown? But in reality, what we're doing is we're in our vision series, and we've been talking about that our vision for this year is in and out, that God would, by his grace, allow us to create a community, and that means you, where the doors are open to the greater community of this city, and as people come in and move into smaller and smaller communities that we're investing in them, and helping them grow to be these beautifully, fully mature or maturing people in Christ. That as they go deeper and deeper into our community, that we're completely dedicated with every strength and every ounce and every resource we have to your maturing. And it's not just, when we talk about gospel maturing, we're not just talking about like spiritual maturing, like memorizing the Bible or learning how to pray. Those are important and they're vital to our lives, but also we talk about that we wanna grow emotionally because if we're growing spiritually but we're not growing emotionally, then, uh, then we're not really growing spiritually. But we also wanna grow relationally and we also wanna grow socially. And the reason is, is because all of scripture talks about the purpose of our lives is to love God and to love others. And so maturing is learning how to love. It's learning how to love God and be loved by God. It's learning how to love ourselves and be aware of ourselves. It's learning how to love the people around us and let them love us. But it's also learning how to love this city. And so in, but as we grow, we go out. And we started talking last week that when we become followers of Christ, that when we're going out, we're not just going out on our own, we're actually following Jesus where he's going. And last week we said, if you're gonna follow Jesus, the first place he goes is discipleship. That he leads us into each other's lives to play a role in that maturing process. But today, we're gonna talk about, it's not just discipleship that he leads us, he also leads us to another place. So, Jenny's gonna read for us Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. And I gotta warn you, this, this passage of scripture is kind of sobering, all right? I mean, it's, yeah, it, it'll grab you. So, the sweetest person in all of Midtown to actually read this passage. <laughs> so, yes, take us to the judgment seat of Christ. The sheep I'm not joking. The, the sheep and the goats. Let me make sure I'm on here. Sheep and the goats? Okay. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? 
When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Mm, Thank you. Let's pray. Father, um, I pray you give us grace, um, Lord, and courage to face this passage. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us revelation. Um, I pray that, Lord, you would rescue us uh, from the disease of intellectualizing uh, your story and the words you have for us. Let them work their way down into our hearts. Um, And then, Lord, by your grace, uh, give us courage to work them to our hands and our feet. Um, Lord, let us not be just people that are here of the word, but also let us be doers as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, uh, this is really important. When we talk about the vision of Midtown, um, the worst thing that could happen in this vision series is for you guys to sit out here and go, man, I just love where Midtown's going. Isn't that amazing? Like, Y'all go. Y'all are awesome. Like, they're good leaders. Like, I can't wait to see what they're going to do. That's not what this is about. This is about me saying, hey, guys, this is what the Lord is doing here. And I'm saying, come on. This is where we all jump in. This is where we say, okay, I'm, this is going to become a part of my vision. And that's important because as we tackle this, um, This is hard. I mean, just look at the passage itself. Jesus is coming down with his angels that his throne is set up on earth, and he is dividing people, the sheep and the goats. And however you understand this, and I'm happy to sit down with you and talk about historically the language that's here, this apocalyptic language of goats and sheep, I'm happy to sit down and talk with you from Genesis all the way to Revelation, How do we begin to understand when he says things like fire and judgment? Are those things literal? Are they figurative? What are they talking about? What does it mean to spend eternity separated from the blessings of the kingdom of God? And what does it mean to have eternity with the blessings and kingdom of God? We can talk about all of that, but here's what I want you to hear. Jesus is saying something very clear in this passage which is there is a distinct difference between those that are part of the kingdom of God and those that are not a part of the kingdom of God. And here's the distinct difference. Those who are part of the kingdom of God love. And they don't just love those around them. They don't just love the people closest to them. They don't just love themselves. They don't just love God. It says in verse five, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. 
I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me, that those that are part of the kingdom of God have a profound love for the marginalized, the most vulnerable people in society because we view them as the opportunity for us to serve Jesus himself. We gotta ask the question. So is this passage saying that the way we get to heaven is we become radical servants of the poor? Is that what it's saying here? Because it seems like that's what it's saying here, that Jesus is saying, if you spend a lifetime serving the poor, you're gonna get into heaven, but if you don't spend your lifetime serving the poor, then you're not getting into heaven. Well, when we study scripture, we have to take very difficult passages of scripture and we have to look at them through the lens of passages that are very clear so that we can have a better understanding of the whole counsel of Scripture. So let me take you to Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's on page 742. Nobody even questioned that, did it? You all have different Bibles. How do I know what page it's on? A little levity. We're talking about judgment here, right? Lighten up. Well, Ephesians chapter two, this is starting in verse four, but God being rich in mercy, okay? So the very first thing that we have to understand about the character of God is that he is rich in mercy. And because of his great love, he's also rich in great love, which he loved us. So God is rich in mercy and God is rich in love and he has targeted both of those things toward us, his people, and he is pouring them out, okay? It says, when we were dead in our transgressions. Now stop for a minute. What it's saying there is that there's a big debate about how many parts there are to man, body, soul, spirit, body, spirit. Like, but for the sake of our discussion today, imagine that we are made up of body, which is our physical body, our soul is our mind, our emotions, our story, our personality, who we are, Enneagram, you know? But our spirit is this part of us that's deeply connected to God. We are, we are created in God's image, and so we are spirit. And what this passage is saying, that when man fell in the Garden of Eden, all of man was thrown under a curse, and the curse was we were all born with dead spirits. That's why in Isaiah it says, even our best deeds are like filthy rags, because our best deeds are done with a dead spirit. And so God, recognizing that our spirit is dead because of sin, because of our transgressions, listen to what he does. Made us alive. That's the work of God through, together with Christ. In other words, God made us alive. God came, he took the dead and he made it alive. He took the old and he replaced it with the new. That is the work of God. Now listen to how he did that. It says, by grace you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. By grace. It's not grace plus something. It's not grace minus something. We are saved by one thing, and it's called grace, which is the way that God expresses his profound divinity of mercy and love for us. Keep going with me. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The riches, like the grace and the mercy he wants to show you is rich. 
And he's going to show it to you through Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't any, do anything to merit it. This is God's grace, not your own doing. It is the gift of God. A gift. Now let's just stop for a minute. Because what is a gift? A gift is something that is given and received, right? Like none of you parents go to your kids on Christmas morning and say, now wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. We're going to leave all these presents here underneath the tree. And if you make up your bed for 10 straight weeks, we'll let you come and open them. <laughs> That's not a gift. That is giving them an opportunity to earn what's underneath the tree. That's not what God did for us. He didn't come and say, well, if you'll just get your life straight, if you'll just obey, if you'll just serve the poor enough, then those gifts are yours. That's not what this passage is saying at all. He's saying that it is a free gift, and listen to the words, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Not the results of works. Your salvation in Christ, your entrance into the kingdom of heaven is based on one thing and one thing only, that you trusted a Savior that could get you there. That's it. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You can't purchase it which means you also can't lose it. When I was dead, it was given to me, and now that I'm alive, how much more now that I'm alive could I not receive all the gifts of God? Now, hang with me. Go to 1 John chapter 4. Because we've got to talk about this, because this is a guilt-manufacturing guilt passage in Matthew chapter 25. And we've got to settle that issue before we talk about it. Otherwise, if you leave here motivated by guilt, then you're not leaving here motivated by conviction. And I'll tell you what guilt doesn't do. It does not suffer well. Conviction suffers very well. And where we're going is going to hurt. I'm just going to tell you, because we're going to love. And anytime you go to love, you're going to suffer. I promise you, I'm sorry. It's just going to happen. Love anything, and it's going to hurt you. And if you're going because you feel guilty and you're trying to earn something, you're not going to stay the course. So we got to get rid of this guilt thing. Are you with me? Am I making sense? Yeah. Okay, here we go. John chapter, 1 John chapter 4. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, acknowledge that anybody that puts their faith in him, puts their trust in his work on the cross and the power of his resurrection, the scriptures say that is the moment that Christ makes me alive. The Spirit comes alive within me. And he says, now God lives in them, Spirit alive. And they in God, spirit alive. His spirit speaks to my spirit. Now I'm dwelling with the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And so we know and rely on love, the love God has for us. So now the life of the spirit is me knowing the love of God and me relying on the love of God. It now becomes the power source for my loving myself, my loving you, loving relationships, and actually loving this city. So get that. It's not guilt that motivates us out these doors. It's love, that we are profoundly loved. Now look at uh, the second half of verse 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Matthew chapter 25. How are we going to have confidence on the day of judgment? God's love for me through Jesus Christ. It says, in this world, we're like Jesus. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. What is that saying? It's saying if we understand that by grace we have been saved, not by anything that I've done, it's the work of Christ alone, and I step into that love, the judgment seat of Christ has no fear for me. Zero fear, because perfect love has cast out that fear that I am living in, relying upon, dwelling in, and abiding in God's unbelievable, rich, merciful love for me. That's where somebody goes, amen, amen. (laughs) In other words, if I have fear about the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus says, come on, let's go talk about that and deal with it. Because guilt Guilt plays a role in my life, and all guilt does is, is realizes I've done something wrong, and the Holy Spirit uses me to bring me back to the grace of God, not to fuel something that I do. And the church has abused guilt for years, generations, thousands of years to try to get you to do something. And I'm telling you right now, we want to drop kick guilt right out the door. That's worldly guilt. So... If we understand that, now we can ask, where's Jesus going? Because we can't escape the uncomfortable reality that if you're a follower of Christ, he's going to lead you to the marginalized and the vulnerable. I mean, in honestly, honesty, in all honesty, we love to debate sexuality, we love to debate abortion, we love to debate politics. We love all these hot, sexy little topics, but there is no debate about our role with the poor. In the Old Testament, it was abundantly clear that the role of Israel was to do justice and to reflect God's heart by caring for the poor. Inexcusable. I mean, when you go to Jeremiah chapter 9, listen to what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him boast in this, that he understands and knows me. God said, that should be your boast, that you know me. And then he goes on to say, for I am the Lord. This is who I am. And I practice steadfast love. I practice justice. I practice righteousness on this earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The Lord says, boast in that, that you know me, that I'm a God of justice. I'm a God of mercy. He even says later in Jeremiah 29, he says, now that you know me, go be like me. And how does he say it? He says in verse 7 of 29, but seek the welfare of the city. For I've sent you into exile. They were in exile in the city. They were slaves in a city, and God says, still seek the welfare of this city. And pray to the Lord on his behalf, for its welfare, you will find your welfare. In other words, Midtown, we should love this city. And I'm not just talking about the Titans. I mean, you know, go Titans. This city should be different because we're here. And it's not different because, you know, we're just the newest, sexiest form of Nashvilleans. It's different because we have eyes to see the most vulnerable the most marginalized. In the Old Testament, it was the widows, the orphans, the poor, and the aliens. These were the people that were the most vulnerable people in culture that if there was any hiccup, gas prices went up, then their lives would be altered. 
These are the people that if there was a tornado, these people don't have resources to know how to recoup. These are the people that if they lose their job, they lose their home. These are the people that can't handle the unpredictable things because they have no reserves. These are the most fragile of people. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse eight, a lot of scripture, but it says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. And here is the crazy thing about this, church. I'm gonna tell you, Jesus said in Matthew 25, when you do it under the least of these, who do you do it to? Come on, go with me. Do it unto him. This isn't an invitation to get your life ridden by guilt. This is an invitation to Jesus to go, come and see me. So I've told this story before, but a number of years ago, I was in Jamaica, and we were helping uh, at the Johnny Cash Children Home, our home for children. It was an orphanage that Johnny Cash evidently started. There were paintings of him everywhere. And we would do uh, these fun games every day, and kids would just come into the orphanage from everywhere, and every day this little three-year-old would come waddling out of the woods, and nobody know, knows where he came from. We don't know where he went at the end of the day. He just kind of disappeared. But he was kind of handicapped, and his legs didn't work right, and there were no adults or no older kids that even took ownership for him. And one day he came in, and he was wearing an old diaper that was kind of dragging behind him, and I turned to some of the girls in our youth group and I said, hey, y'all need to change that diaper. <laughs> and they looked at me and said, we don't love Jesus that much. <laughs> Nobody would do it. And it fell upon me to go into the bathroom with this little boy and change his diaper. It was disgusting. He wasn't healthy. I mean, it was, it was devastating. I had to walk out of the bathroom twice to keep from throwing up. And finally, as I got him clean and he was just smiling and laughing, um, here's what the Holy Spirit said to me. When you've done it under the least of these, you've done it unto me. Will you serve me? I, I'm just gonna tell you, church, when you choose to get out of the comfort zone and move into the margins, you see Jesus. This week in our Emotionally Healthy Relationship class, we read this. This is from Mother Teresa who dedicated her life to giving dignity to people that were dying. Um, and she, I don't have any of the stats to give you, I just you know who she is. She said the greatest disease in the West today is not tuberculosis or leprosy. It's being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for just a little bit of love. It's all through Scripture. I mean, we can't escape it. It makes me so uncomfortable. i got to tell you, it's so hard to write this sermon and preach it because it keeps pointing back to me because Scripture says, think of others better than yourself. Oh, God, all I think about is myself. Are you kidding me? And all I think about is my welfare over your welfare. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not sure I know how to do that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. We as the church 
or to understand that we have been born into a kingdom that has a different value system. And this family has a different code than the one that drives this world. And because of that, this place should be different because we're here. How do we do that? What do we do? All I'm gonna ask you to do today is would you dare to pray, Lord, would you lead me? I will go and follow where you're going. That is a dangerous prayer. I'm gonna tell you, it's gonna mess up your life. It's gonna change your priorities. It's gonna, it's gonna rework your free time. I'll tell you why. Because every one of my friends that have ever prayed it, it's completely messed up their lives. One of them is Mary Trapnell. Some of y'all know Mary Trapnell. Mary Trapnell, I met her 25 years ago. Uh, we were raising kids at the same time and she lived in Belmede and uh, her and her husband are wonderful people. But a few years back, she went to Murfreesboro where she grew up to visit her parents. And one of her friends said, you gotta come and check this out. And what she did was she took uh, Mary over to the Cracker Barrel. And Mary goes, great, I've been to Cracker Barrel before. Not much to check out, you know? Maybe the gift shop's changed a little bit. She goes, no, let's go around back. And there's a field behind Cracker Barrel where she grew up riding her horses. And back there were people. Listen to what she said. I went home to visit my parents in Murfreesboro and they were feeding a bunch of people, mostly kids in a field behind the Cracker Barrel. I grew up riding horses in that field and here were all these children being trafficked. It's real and it's here. She told me, she goes, you know, Randy, you can sell drugs and they're gone. But a person you can sell over and over again until their body is worn out. You know what she decided to do? She had no experience. She had no resume. She had no degrees. She had no money. She had nothing that would qualify her for what she was about to do other than Jesus saying, hey, Mary, come with me. And she said, okay. And where did he take her? To form the Nashville Anti-Human Trafficking Coalition. You heard of it? Well, you don't have to go far. She worships at our 12 South location. And if you want to go to the five o'clock service on the front row are all the ladies they've been working with, some of which joined our church this last go around. Beautiful story. You think that's messed up her free schedule? I think so. See, you know, God may not be calling you to start a whole ministry. You may be sitting there going, oh, I couldn't do that. Maybe he's just calling you to care. And what I mean is, is I just want to challenge one thing for you. I'm going to be done in three minutes, okay? And it's simple. Is this idea that we have been raised to be nice people. We've been raised not to be selfish. I mean, our parents taught us that. If you have kids here this morning, the hardest thing to teach your kid to do is share because they, they were born with the word mind coming out of their mouth. Like they, somebody just taught them in the womb, didn't they? It's like they come out, mine, like, rah, rah, rah. and just going, okay, maturing, you're going to be maturing when you go, okay, I'll let you play with my truck for two seconds, then give it back. We've all seen it. I mean, I grew up in a home of all boys, and my mom had this game that when we all had to share a candy bar, 
If I had to share a candy bar with my brother, that was never a fair exchange. Whoever got the candy bar got the most of the candy bar. So to keep us honest, she goes, one of you break it, the other chooses. That's a no-win situation. One breaks, the other chooses. Like, if you break, like, you know, if I break it unfair, they're going to get more. And the reason that she had to do that was because deep in our hearts was selfishness. Deep in our heart was self-centeredness. And so her, she was thriving as a parent to teach us to be selfless, to actually start to think of other people as important as myself. That's not what I'm talking about at all. Because the gospel doesn't stop there and say, would you just be nice people? The gospel says, take up your cross. And here's the scary thing. Take up your cross and follow me. He's not calling me to be selfless. He's calling me to be sacrificial. And there's a difference in the two. See, you can take me to lunch and pay for it, and that's selfless. But it's not really sacrificial. I can tell Renee I'll take the trash out. Such a selfless thing. It's not sacrificial. I didn't lose anything in that transaction. I could even give to ministry. And it really doesn't affect where I'm going to vacation at spring break. It's not, it's, it's selfless. It's an amazing thing. But I wouldn't consider it sacrificial. And Jesus is calling us to something deeper as we mature spiritually. And that is that we would mature into an understanding that we are following where he's going and we're partnering within that. And when we partner with him, it's always going to take us down the road of sacrificial. And that's going to hurt, and that's why guilt can't take us there. Conviction has to take us there. And what is our conviction? That when Christ came, he didn't come like he could have come, which is a prince. He came into poverty. He was born into a barn. His parents had no money to make a lamb sacrifice, so they made the poor person sacrifice of the doves. The last week of his life, he rode into town on a borrowed donkey. He had to borrow an upper room to have the last meal with all his disciples. He suffered a tremendous miscarriage of justice, and then he was crucified, and he actually got buried in a borrowed tomb. Why? For you. For you. Yeah. That's our Jesus that we worship. That's our Jesus that we say, Jesus, make me like you. And Jesus says, okay, let's go. And here's the powerful thing. When we go, we see him. And when we see him, we're made like him. So let me just throw some things out to you, okay? <laughs> when you say, Lord, here I am, he may already be showing you. Like, what do you care about? Where's your heart? Like maybe, you know, our Napier church plant, the Napier housing project that we've been working in for the last four years, our farmer's co-op that's getting ready to start back out, and you may want to sign up for that co-op, and you might want to say, hey, how do I get more involved? You might want to partner with us in our Napier garage where we are creating a storage of resources that we can use to care for the poor in that housing project. You might want to look into Mary Trapnell's ministry, Nashville Anti-Human Trafficking. That may have stirred your heart. Maybe you care about food, and you care about people having food, and you might want to join up with Second Harvest Food Bank, or maybe you want to help women come out of prison and, or find a new life and try to learn how to do business and go join, you know, Becca Stevens over at Thistle Farms. 
I mean, her story is remarkable. How did she get where she is? You might want to call, call Roy Carter, a good friend of mine who works at Room at the Inn, who they're trying to help homeless people find safe and decent places to sleep at night. That's a crazy ministry. Just call Roy and say, can I come down and just spend one night with you at Room at the Inn? Whoo, hang on. Maybe you want to get into fostering children. And Christian and Molly Jenkins, they're right here in our community. Go talk to them. They've been doing that for years. But it really starts with just one thing. Come and see. Because here's my prayer for this vision. And I'm going to close with this. You know, my prayer is that every one of you, every one of you, and every one of our children would have a place that matters to you. That there's a place in this city that cares for this city, the most vulnerable in our city. And that place is a place you give to. It's a place that you pray for. It's a place that you're involved with. It's a place that's different because you care about it. And that's what I'm praying that every one of you, every one of you as the body of Christ would say, that part of this city is going to be different in one place because I'm here in this city. Would you join me on that vision? Hmm. All right. Now, this is how we do this here at Midtown. I'm about to pray. We're about to go into worship. And what, here's what we believe, that what I just did, Scripture calls that foolishness. It does. It says it's just foolish. It's just, there's nothing special about me. You understand that. It's just this is the role that I'm playing. But what's happening in this room right now is the Holy Spirit says he's working where the body of Christ comes together. So here, we're about to worship. And your job now is to say, Lord, I'm listening and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And when he speaks to you, now you say, Lord, that's why I prayed and started this service, by saying, give us courage. Because when he speaks, it's going to scare you. But it's beautiful. You're not alone. You ready? Father, we, in this teaching time, we are your bride. We are the ones that you call your beloved. We are the recipients of your mercy the riches of your love by grace and grace alone. And Lord, uh, we know that nothing that we do with our hands will earn more of your love. We know that, Lord, we could never care for the poor and yet we are recipients of your grace. But you invite us to the mighty adventure of seeing your face. You call us into this amazing journey of being the hands and feet for the kingdom of God and experiencing you in ways that we would never experience without that. So I pray for my friends right now, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts, Holy Spirit. Well, I know you will. I don't need to pray that. I pray that you give them ears to hear you and courage not to shut off their heart, um, Lord, and be present where they're at right now in worship and listen to what you have to say. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.